0: Today's episode is sponsored by Book Riot's new podcast, Adaptation Nation, where we read it, we watch it, we talk about it. That's right, Book Riot is taking on your favorite literary adaptions, including new releases, old favorites, underrated gems, and interesting messes. We'll dive into how the books and adaptations themselves came to be, publication and production backstories, casting what-ifs, critical reception, and more to answer that ever-burning question, was the book actually better, and does that question even matter? Up first, Jeff, co-host of the Book Riot podcast, and Amanda and Jen, host of Get Booked, will be breaking down the sci-fi classic Dune and the new adaptation. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to Hey YA! From great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest in on-screen adaptions, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Zaffetti and the newly reintroduced Tirza Price. Hey, Tirza!
1: Hey, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So we are recording episode 107 today on November 18th. Tirza, how are you doing?
1: I'm really great, thanks. How about you?
0: I'm doing pretty good, pretty well. I'm excited that you're here. I'm sad to see Kelly go, of course, but I'm super yes. excited that you're here. We had, we've already had some great conversations behind the scenes, obviously. And I feel like it's going to be a fun time.
1: Yeah, I, you know, obviously, Kelly has done such amazing work sort of spearheading this podcast and, you know, bringing it this far. Um, and I know she's going to be missed. But every time that I have either, you know, filled in for Kelly, because I was here for a couple of months while she was on leave earlier this year, or I've, you know, podcasted filling in for Eric, I just have enjoyed this space so much and YA really is kind of like, you know, it's my jam. I love all books. I've Mm -hmm. worked for Book Riot for five and a half years now. And I, you know, talked about everything from, you know, adult mysteries to children's books. And I'm really all over the place when it comes to my own reading. But um, young adult literature is like my one true love. So this is just so exciting to be here.
0: That's awesome. And I, I mean, I know you have a book out, which has an awesome cover, just side note, <laughs> that is it's like a Jane Austen retelling. That's like a mystery or something. I need to read that. Yes. I haven't yet. But it seems really interesting, like totally right up my alley. What, um what are your favorite just so we get to know each other a little bit? Yeah. What are your favorite like genres?
1: Ooh, so yeah, I love a lot of different genres. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned my book, which is Pride and Premeditation. It's my debut YA novel. It came out earlier this year from HarperCollins. And so it is a murder mystery mashup of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. So I love mysteries. Obviously, I wrote one. <laughs> yeah, that makes, that <laughs> <It's>, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's one of, they're one of my favorite genres. I and mean, mm-hmm. it's so funny because I like, I did not get into mysteries until I was probably in college. Mm -hmm. So like sort of after like that, I mean, let's be real. I've never stopped reading YA. Right. But I didn't really get into mysteries until I was, you know, at that age where most people think like, oh, shouldn't you be aging out of YA? Right. And I was like, no, never. But like (laughs) I did start to get more of an interest in you know, adult fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, because I was really hardcore, all about the YA as a teen. And then I started working as an independent bookseller when I was in college. And I like I just had some really great customers who were really into mysteries and they kind of turned me on to mysteries. So I actually came to mystery kind of through the adult category. Mm -hmm. um, And I've just loved in the last like, I don't know, maybe three years or so the absolute explosion of YA mysteries out there. Um, It's so exciting. So I love mysteries. I love historical fiction. Mm. I like contemporary and I like romance. I like anything LGBTQ, which, Mm -hmm. you know, can across many genres. I do like fantasy. I admit, I'm a little bit picky when it comes to fantasy.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So it's like, I love that there's so many great fantasy novels out there. But like, Mm -hmm. I admit that like, as a reader, I'm very picky about what I like in fantasy. What do
0: you like in fantasy, Tirza? (sighs) Now I'm intrigued. I want to (laughs) know.
1: I love really great world building. Mm -hmm. And... I also, you know, really like great characters for me. I don't know.
0: It's like, (sighs) do you like like epic fantasy? (laughs) Do you want like another language in there? Or do you like urban fantasy where it's like, oh, it's kind of like our world, but there's like magic.
1: I do like all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I guess like what I'm coming at is like, I really like really well written fantasy that is that feel like that makes the characters feel like they could be in our world, even though they're in a fantasy world. Okay, like fully fleshed out characters. Yeah. My favorite fantasy trilogy YA of all time might just be the Lumeteer Chronicles by Melina Marchetta, which I feel like don't get enough love because they're mm-hmm. Australian. Right. And they were published here in the US by Candlewick Press, which is, you know, an amazing publisher. Mm-hmm. But I just found out that the first book, Finnegan of the Rock, recently went out of print. And I was oh, like wow. devastated. So it's such a great fantasy trilogy. And I feel like it has like a lot of, sort of like underground love. Right. But it's not like, you know, the next... Ember in the Ashes or right. you know, insert, you know, any big name fantasy author. Um, so I love that series. I just I feel like the worlds are so complex and interesting, and you have got so many different characters. Um, I like Lee Bardugo a lot. Right, yeah. I have not finished Saba Tahir's Ember in the Ashes mm-hmm. series, but I really like the first three books. I need to read the last one still. Um it's more of a time thing, not yeah. a disinterest thing, I promise. Right. Um, but then I feel like my other issue with fantasy too and i don't know if you have this issue is mm-hmm. that like i love so much fantasy like i really love what i love mm-hmm. uh, but they're series and i sometimes don't always make the time to read series so i've been really digging like really great standalones lately because yeah. i can squeeze those in
0: that's the, that sometimes and even this extends to like show watching for me Um, Sometimes, like, it is kind of like, oh my god, they're like, how many in this series? How many pages for this one book? So standalones can be very nice.
1: Yeah, my favorite authors lately that do really great standalones are Melissa Bashardost, who wrote... I'm sorry, Girl, Serpent, Thorn. I had to think about that mm-hmm. for a second. No, I was right. like, I know there's like, it's like a three name title. Yeah. Um, so Girl, Serpent, Thorn and Girls of Snow and Glass, which mm-hmm. are two really fantastic. They're retellings mm-hmm. and they're queer and they're so good. Um, and then I also really have enjoyed recently I read Laura Weymouth's um, A Rush of Wings, which is also another retelling. And I thought it was excellent. And I can't wait to dig into her backlist as well. So, oh, nice. yeah, I, I really, truly meet it when I say that I love pretty much any genre of YA. And I have been getting more into nonfiction in part because, you know, Kelly is such a great champion of YA nonfiction and nonfiction for young readers. So I've been reading a lot more of that. And one of the books I'm going to recommend later on in the show is a nonfiction title that I think everybody should get. So yeah, it's gonna be exciting. Yeah, it sounds
0: a lot. All the books, basically.
1: (laughs) All the books. (laughs) In conclusion. Which
0: is, incidentally, also the name of another show from Book Riot that I'm on. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Excellent plug opportunity. So what's been going on in the world of YA that's interesting to you, Tirza? Like, what is... Like you. The,
1: <laughs> <video. laughs> the well yeah, so we wanted to like start the show off, um, and like future shows as well, off with some like news and just chit chat and things that intrigue us from the YA world. And on my radar is last night was the National Book Awards ceremony, which I love. And if you are not aware, like they stream the National Book Awards ceremony Uh every year. So like obviously this year and last year, it was all virtual and, um, you know, people weren't gathering in person because of COVID. But normally speaking, they have like a big ceremony in New York City where like everybody gets fancy dressed up and there's like a red carpet and it's all about books and I love it. I love it. it. So you can watch it. Yeah, I've always enjoyed watching it. So I watched last night. I didn't get all of it because I kind of came in a little bit late. But I always love, you know, watching the announcements. And so last night, Melinda Lowe won the National Book Award for Young People's Literature with her book last night at the Telegraph Club, which is so exciting. I love that book so much. Mm -hmm. Have you read it?
0: I haven't finished reading it. I think I actually mentioned it in another episode, but it it and it's not because again, it's not because of a disinterest. It's because like so many things are intriguing to me, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. But it sounded yeah. really good. I believe it, it takes place in like fifties in the fifties. And yes. well, you read it, so you could better yeah describe it.
1: Yeah, so it's it's set in 1953, and it's set in San Francisco's Chinatown. And it is about a young woman named Lily, and she is Chinese American, and she has always grown up in Chinatown and her her life feels kind of close in that way because, you know, she has her neighborhood. Uh She rarely has reason to leave Chinatown except for to go to school. And she's always known that there's something different about her, but she isn't able to put into words what that difference is until she sees this flyer for the Telegraph Club, which is a lesbian bar only a couple of blocks from Chinatown. And this flyer is advertising a male impersonator. And it just captures her attention. Like she, she's so fascinated with it. But, like, again, this is the 1950s. She doesn't know a lot about queer culture. So uh-huh. she doesn't quite understand why. And then she, through this ad, she makes a connection with a classmate at school who's a white girl named Kath. And they sneak out of their homes and they go to the Telegraph Club late at night and they discover like this wonderful community of queer women who are pretty welcoming to them. And, you know, that kind of gives them the knowledge and the confidence to really explore their own sexualities and their feelings, you know, for women, but like also for one another. It's such a beautiful book. And I don't know, I've gotten a little bit of flack for saying this, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say it anyway. And okay. I'm going to explain why I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. I like to recommend this book and I like to tell people that it is a non-tragic book about lesbians in the 1950s. Right. And... People have like yelled at me because they're like, "Well, you just you spoiled it," and I was like, "Because I said it wasn't tragic." Because you said it
0: wasn't (laughs) tragic. Oh no, people. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, people do too much. I
1: I feel like that would kind of be like saying like this is a book about a minority that's like happy. No, and it's like, but that shouldn't be a
0: you know that shouldn't be a spoiler. Like, I I (laughs) really say that. No. I feel very strongly about this. As you should. Like, my thing is, I've even seen book lists where people are highlighting books, you know, on on different, on our site, on different, on other sites as well. Um, And they'll say, like, books about Black people that are not uh, centered on, like, trauma or books about Black joy, for instance. And then there was also that whole, um, there's a movement on, I think, I feel like I've seen it on Twitter where they try to center, like, trans stories that are not traumatic and tragic. Yeah. So they, people, I don't know. Sometimes, (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to just say, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it says a lot about, people if their expectation is going mm. into reading a historical fiction novel about queer people that they expect it to be tragic and yeah. when I tell them that it isn't they're upset because they feel like something's been spoiled.
0: That does say a lot actually. Actually that says a lot.
1: Um, <laughs> That's a you problem not a me problem. Yeah. So I yeah. So I I will proudly say that this is a fantastic book that you should read uh, because you know what? It's not a without its heartache. It's mm-hmm. not without its complications. I think that the ending like where they leave the characters where Melinda Lowe leaves the characters might be a little bit surprising to people okay. um so you know I'm not spoiling anything you should just go read this book it's, it's fantastic man. it was one of my favorite books of the year be- even before this happened I read it back when it came out in January and I just have to say I'm so thrilled for Melinda Lowe because if you know anything about her and her career You know, she had a debut novel. Her debut novel came out in, I think, 2009. Mm -hmm. It was Ash. It was a lesbian retelling of Cinderella. And all of her books have been about queer teenage girls. And they've not always, you know, gotten their due. or been, You know, as well received as I think they ought to be. Like, I I read Ash when it came out, you know, in 2009. Mm -hmm. So that tells you how long I've been, like, around in the world of YA. Right. And... I, I'm just I'm so thrilled for her because I think like, you know, this is a great example of an author who has been writing for so many years mm-hmm. and she's been doing so much great work. And I'm I'm just very happy that she has won this award and for this book, too, because it was excellent.
0: I have definitely moved it up on my TBR after that ringing endorsement. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like she's finally getting her flowers. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, it is. So would you like to get into the next sponsor and then we'll get into the first, our first topic?
1: Yeah, I will. So um, our sponsor today is Oni Press and fans new and old will love the brand new deluxe edition of Mooncakes featuring a gorgeous new cover, an introduction by Sarah Kuhn and more. So teen witch Nova Huang spends her days working in her grandmother's spellbook shop and her nights hunting down the supernatural. One fateful night, she follows reports of a white wolf and comes across her childhood crush, the werewolf Tam Lang, battling a horse demon in the woods. When Tam turns to Nova for help, their latent feelings are rekindled against the backdrop of witchcraft, untested magic, occult rituals, and family ties in this enchanting tale of self-discovery. Mooncakes is written by Suzanne Walker and illustrated by Wendy Shu, And you can find the collector's edition in stores now from Oni Press. And I just have to add, I read this book when it came out. I loved it. I did not know that there was going to be a collector's edition. Now I need to have it.
0: <laughs> just in time for the holidays. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Adding that to my list. Right, exactly. Okay, so our first topic today are our favorite underappreciated under books. Books that we feel kind of like how you were saying about Melinda Lowe and her, some of her older books, or in particular, Ash from 2009. How they have been great, but they haven't gotten as much love as we feel like they should have. Yes. So, yeah. Would you like to start off with your first choice?
1: Yeah. And I think, like, it's so difficult because, like, everybody has, like, their own perception of, like, you know what everybody's talking about and you know obviously there are always books that get like more press than others so like and like there are so many other books too like we are just two people who are going to talk <laughs> Dis-
0: about six disclaimer books. so please <laughs> disclaimer. don't come at us if we don't
1: <laughs> include all of your books don't but- at us <laughs> <laughs> right Um, So my first pick, though, that I I feel like I just want to always shout about this book because, one, it's excellent. And two, I think there's a really great need for it in YA right now. It is Perfectly Parveen by Olivia Abtahi. And okay, so I feel like this could be like a whole other topic for another episode. But I do feel like YA has definitely been aging up within the last 10 years. Okay, In terms of like the age of characters, like when I was reading YA when I was like four you know, 12, 13, 14, like a lot of the characters were like closer in age to me, like 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And now it just seems like so many YA books, like the characters are like 17, 18, 19, 20. Right. Um, and that's fine. Like I'm happy for that. But I think like we've almost sort of forgotten that like, hey guys, 12 year olds read YA. right? And maybe we should have YA for them too. right? So this is why I love Perfectly Parveen because it stars Parveen is an iranian american teenager and she's 14 at the start of the book and she's just starting high school which like i don't know about you that was a wild time in my life a, yeah so, it's such like and it's such a rich sort of setting and time mm-hmm. period for ya so Parveen is starting high school and she's like on top of the world because her summer crush and her vacation best friend has asked if she would like to be his girlfriend. And so they are starting high school and she's like, I've got a boyfriend. I'm dating. I'm so
0: happy. Because like, you know, yeah. those are
1: things that seem like a really big deal when you're 14. And then she starts school and like the first day of school orientation, he dumps her.
0: Wow, Which
1: is, yeah, Very heartless. Very much, you know, peak 14-year-old boy. Um, (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) No offense to 14-year-old boys, but, like, emotional maturity, not always there. So she's devastated. And what's really sad is that he tells her that he's breaking up with her because she's too much. Because she's loud. Because she likes, you know, to pull off practical jokes. It is just too much. So she decides that she's going to get a boyfriend by the time homecoming rolls around because she's going to show him. And it's just like this really funny book about her her attempt to get a boyfriend, but, like, also her friendships. And um, there's great family stuff. There's also some serious family stuff because her aunt is living in Tehran and wants to come over and visit, but she's denied a visa. So, you know, it's very topical. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just such a good book. And I think that, like, it reminded me a lot of, like, early Princess Diaries and, like, those types of books were, like... You know, it's really goes deep into like the little details of a teenager's life. Mm -hmm. But this one is, you know, updated, more diverse, because we have Parveen, who's Iranian American, but like, um, she attends a quinceanera, her friends are Korean American, like it's very much, I don't know, it feels like a early YA book that has like, been gently ushered into 2020 and yeah. 2021 and it's it's great. I loved it. So, that's Perfectly Parveen by Olivia Abtahi.
0: That's interesting. Um speaking about a peak 14-year-old <laughs> boy. Um there's a there are a few books that I know of that start off with a girl getting dumped by her boyfriend at the beginning of the school year. One of the ones that I'm going to talk about it has to do with that. So, <laughs> so funny. when you say peak 14, I'm like, wait,
1: maybe there's <laughs> something
0: to that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the first one I have to talk about is The Wide Starlight by Nicole L'Esperance. Ellie, or Eileen, was six when she lost her mother 10 years ago to the Northern Lights. And... Tirza in us getting to know each other. I really like science fiction and fantasy too. Sometimes I have to remind myself to choose other things. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, I should pick up a different genre, which I, I always end up enjoying, but I just get like kind of stuck in the science fiction and fantasy world. So this is one of those instances so basically, Eileen's mother disappeared 10 years ago. And so after that happened, Aline and her father left Norway and moved to Cape Cod in the US. And the move seems to have left Aline with a kind of like less interesting life. Like, I guess her life was kind of more popping back in Norway and Cape Cod. It's like, meh, you know, New England, whatever. So her life starts to get shaken up, though, when she starts to find out her best friend is applying to schools that are far away. And even that the Northern Lights will make an appearance in Massachusetts, That's a hard word for me to say, Massachusetts, sorry, (laughs) which never happens. So it's interesting how, you know, metaphors and everything like that. Aline's, her world starts to change in a kind of fantastical way in the form of the Northern Lights. But also that's mirrored by more kind of mundane changes. Like her friend, who's been her friend for a while, is about to move away. So that's a major, you know, life change so Elaine hasn't uh, she never gave up on finding her mother and the story of her quest as well as the stories of her grandmother and mother are told as fairy tales and these fairy tales start to kind of melt and blend into reality so fairy tale characters are coming to life and other weird things are happening like narwhals are swimming in cape cod bay there are these meteorites Um, There are these princesses with strange and foreboding messages. So Aline's mother does eventually return with the Northern Lights, but she's a lot different from before. And the story of where she's been all this time is really unclear and vague. So it's got a lot of things I like. Like I said, I love science fiction and fantasy. It has Norwegian folktales. I love mythology and folklore and all that stuff. Um, so it has these folktales and it has fairy tales and stuff like that, but it is also set in the modern day. And as I said, it's going to deal with, it does deal with mental illness to a certain extent. It also is dealing with everyday, you know, high school girl experience. As I said, she's dealing with her friends moving away and stuff like that, moving to a new town and all that good stuff. So again, that is The Wide Starlight by Nicole L'Esperance. Cosign. I love that book. Mm. It was so good. Um, and I'm glad you talked
1: about it because I think it needs more love. I also want to say that it, I get a lot of people asking for YA books without romance. Mm, that's And this is a great one without romance. You know, it's about the family, you know, relationship and all that. So,
0: so good. Also, it's kind of like for people who like kind of seasonal things, like either holiday stuff or oh, like yeah. season. It's like wintry and it's about to be. Although maybe if you're cold, maybe you don't want to read about being cold. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the last thing you want to do. But it, I like that kind of seasonal, like, "Ooh, it's winter. Let me snuggle up and read about Norway and things." Yes, me too. All
1: right, my next pick is "This Will Be Funny Someday" by Katie Henry, and you know Katie Henry is a writer of great contemporary YA books. Um, this is her third book. And I thought it was just so fantastic. I feel like she has, like, a really good following among people, like, who really enjoy her books. But, like, I I think that, like, she kind of needs to blow up because Mm -hmm. I love her writing so much. So This Will Be Funny Someday is about a teenager named Isabel who is – like, pretty quiet person. She feels like she gets talked over at school, talked over by her boyfriend, talked over by her own family and her siblings. And so she just kind of has, like, this really funny sort of inner monologue of, like, all the things that she would say if she would speak up. She won't. And um, you realize pretty quickly that her boyfriend doesn't always treat her very well and they don't have the best of relationship but she doesn't quite realize that on a conscious level yet so one day she finds herself inadvertently in like the stand-up comedy club and she's really confused about what's going on and there's some confusion about like where she should sit and what she's doing there and basically she accidentally signs up for a set and so she gets up there and she like modern Mrs. Mazel's it where she just like <laughs> everything comes pouring out because she's like I gotta say something funny and so she just starts talking about like all the ways that people like are rude to her because she doesn't ever speak up and um, she also has this disability where it's hard for her to hear out of one ear sometimes. And so, and people don't realize that she has this disability and she doesn't like speaking up and advocating for herself. So like this causes all sorts of like confusion. And people are like, hey, you were pretty good. So she meets these people who are also at this comedy Um, stand-up club and they're you know three other people that she assumes are like teenagers but she discovers that they're college students and they mistake her for a college student and so then they start hanging out but she's like lying to them and pretending that she's a college junior oh my goodness high school junior (laughs) and they and she because she thinks like if i tell them the truth they aren't gonna want to hang out with a kid and so she embarks on this like fledgling um comedy career and it's so great and like this is gonna sound ridiculous but mm-hmm. like this is a book about stand-up comedy that's actually really funny because sometimes <laughs> i think that like
0: yeah, like that not, not that if there's shade like, like, so if the shade is due no if the shade is due <laughs> i
1: sometimes like humor is very subjective that's i true. will grant you this that's true but like sometimes when i read a book where it's like this is supposed to be funny because yeah. it's about comedy i don't always find it funny this book was really funny And it's also just, you know, this really great book about, like, learning to stand up for yourself, advocate for yourself, and, like, especially in your relationships. Because Uh this – I would not say that the relationship is – the relationship isn't physically abusive, although there is some emotional and mental abuse that's not super graphic or terrible, but, like, it's just low-key not very good. Uh And there is one moment of, like, physical intimidation, but there's no – like physical abuse other than that so that this is a book that you know doesn't go too like i guess dark in that direction but it i think it's a really good book for especially for teens to just like learn to recognize the signs of like this is not love this is not good um and i just loved reading about isabel's journey so that's this will be funny someday by katie henry
0: well, that sounds really good. Definitely something I should add to when I need to take a break from science fiction and fantasy, just to, you know, switch yes. things up. That sounds really good. I always mean to read more uh, contemporary books that take place in the real world. <laughs> Erica, yeah. come back to the real world. Um, I always enjoy them, but I, and I, you, you were speaking about, um, emotional abuse and, um, abuse in relationships and, I don't remember if I've told you this, but I'm kind of newer to the world of YA. Like, I definitely read it a lot when I was kind of like the target audience. But since I, I guess, left that age group, uh, which was not too long ago, <laughs> um, <laughs> since I left that age group, I haven't focused it on it as much. But doing this podcast, I've definitely like kind of come back into it. So I say all that just to make the point that I don't know if a book like this has already been written, but I would love a nonfiction book. Teaching a YA nonfiction book talking about healthy relationships and boundaries and stuff. So I don't know if that exists already, but yeah, someone should that write definitely that. seems.
1: Yeah, especially something that's, like, super inclusive and talks about, like, you know. Queer relationships. Queer relationships, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that, like, the idea of uh, abuse in queer relationships is still pretty taboo. Mm -hmm. So definitely needed. Definitely.
0: Yeah, but that sounds really good. I am adding that to the list. My (laughs) ever-expanding TBR. The next one I have is The Valley and the Flood by Rebecca Mahoney. Rose suffers from PTSD as a result of having lost her friend a year ago. Uh, One night she's driving through the Nevada desert when her car breaks down. The worst. Okay. The silence of the night is broken by a radio broadcast of a voicemail from her deceased friend Gabby. This is also the message that Rose has listened to over and over again since Gabby died. With this message kind of playing in her head she decides to follow the lights from a radio tower and ends up in a small town called Lotus Valley, where there are prophets and secrets abound. There's a prophet in particular who tells Rose that they have been waiting for her, like everyone in the town has been waiting for her to appear. And she finds out that her arrival in town spells the town's doom in the form of a flood that will come to destroy Lotus Valley just three days after she arrives. So Rose also has a therapist she communicates with here and there to manage her PTSD. And she knows that there are ways that her PTSD can kind of influence her perception and what she's perceiving. But there is also something or someone that is manipulating her memory as she is in this small strange town. So throughout, she has to deal with um, just different memories resurfacing, grief, scary creatures. Someone has described some of the monsters as being Lovecraftian-esque. And there's a lot going on here in the best way. It's got fabulism, a look at mental illness in the form of PTSD, which I think um, I'm always going to advocate or shout out people exploring mental health issues and stuff like that. There's suspense, there's hope, all that extra good stuff. There are characters of color and queer representation as well. So this is again The Valley and the Flood by Rebecca Mahoney.
1: I have not read that book, but it has a
0: gorgeous cover. I was going to say, are you Okay, so Tiersa, we might be like book sisters <laughs> cuz <'Cause> I feel <laughs> yes. like I always first of all we have similar interests in genres, but also I I always love Shut out, I feel like I almost say it too much. It's like, okay, Erica, it's not about the cover, but the cover's so pretty.
1: Oh, covers so are crazy. so great, though.
0: <laughs> they are like they're so. They kind of do influence when I, certain purchases. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, yeah, oh, totally. How soon I might buy a book is like, well, that one's prettier. I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I understand
1: because I am similarly influenced as well, and I love it. <laughs> yes. All right, my third pick is such a great book. If you want. Okay, well, first of all, if you like the friends to lovers trope, but then you also like enemies to lovers, this book was for you. And I'm gonna explain how it works. So it is In the Same Boat by Holly Green. And this is a really fascinating book about Sadie, whose family like for three generations has always competed in the Texas River Odyssey, which is this like boat race on the river. And it's like a 100 and some miles, or maybe it's 60 miles. I can't you know, I have no concept of like numbers. Me in States, neither. So I'm really sorry
0: about that. <laughs> Me neither. But basically,
1: <laughs> it's a really long boat race. And it takes them like three days to do it and they can't stop. And so Sadie had tried to do this race with her dad a year earlier, and they had to tap out because she made a mistake and got injured. And since then her dad like can barely look at her and she knows that she's like, just absolutely crushed him. Because again, this is like a big family to do. Like everybody in her family has done this race and they've all completed it. And so this year she's determined, you know, she's going to complete it. It's going to be great. Her partner for this is her big brother who has competed and finished multiple times before. But as they're getting prepared to like go out onto the water and start the race, um, something happens that basically um, her brother ditches her, which is so mean. Wow, trash. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. And because she's under 18, she can't go alone, so she needs another partner. And so she decides at the last minute, since her brother has ditched her, and for her, she's like, she's got to compete, because otherwise, like, you know, she'll be a family failure. So she's going to go, and she turns to her nemesis, who is her next-door neighbor, Colin, and she says, okay – I don't like you, but, like, you know, let's do this. Uh And so um, they are on the river for, like, three days straight, going down, trying to race. And she is so determined to do things her way. She's determined to win. She wants to beat her brother. And she's not always taking into account, like, Cullen has his own way of doing things Uh or Cullen has his own expertise. And so they're really clashing but also as they get farther and farther down the river they have to confront the fact that they used to be best friends and what happened to change their friendship and they also have this attraction for one another so it's so good uh-huh. it's a really great book with like about like a female athlete like an yeah. athlete in a way that you wouldn't expect because you know you have to be like really quite fit in order to compete in a boat race like this uh-huh. it's also like about such a weirdly specific like subculture that I knew <laughs> yes. nothing about so it was just really a great book and it has this great romance this great friendship and a lot of angst and tension mm. so that is In the Same Boat by Holly Green.
0: I have questions is this like this is set in like the real world? Yeah yeah. It's is like it a real boat race? In-
1: Yes, so it what? is based off of a real boat race that happens in Texas every year. It's not called the Texas River Odyssey. I forget what it's actually called, but the author, her, I think her husband and maybe her brothers have competed in it, and she has done like a very, very, very baby version of that race. And she was like, "Oh, you know what? That's plenty for me. But I'm going to write a book about this." So she does have like actual like boat race experience and like proximity to a race that is very, very similar. Oh, to. wow! The one that she She depicts in the book, which I think makes it even cooler. Yeah,
0: that is really interesting. When you said it, when you first were saying they have they're on a boat race, they're doing a boat race for three days and they can't stop. I'm like, so I don't know, basic or whatever. My mind was like, how do they use the restroom? (laughs) Like, I guess they sit out on the, they camp out Um, on the bank. They pee over the edge of the boat. (laughs) do (laughs) you're
1: asking all the important questions like yeah no they what happened they they eat and they drink in motion they have like these pit stops where people can like you know give them food and water
0: okay and
1: um but like she's so driven that she won't even let them stop to go to the bathroom or rest
0: wait they never stop they never pull over to the like to the land just to like some people
1: do, do oh, okay. but if you want, if you want to win, you kind of have to just like make it wow. so that you go straight through and like you rest in spurts, like when wow. the river will let you. Yeah. No, it's so intense. Like, you-
0: I don't- wow. So if you like someone after that, after seeing all of that, then y'all should get married because I- that's a rest. right leg. <laughs> if you can do all of that in front of someone else, then that's your soulmate. <laughs>
1: I know. Like, I'm not advocating for teenage marriages, but, oh, like, no. when you think about, when you think about, like, the YA characters and YA, um, YA couples, like, mm-hmm. are they actually going to survive to adulthood and get yeah. married and be together forever? Yeah. Like, I would say that no. Not right. every YA couple I read will, but, like, Sadie and Colin, yeah, I could see
0: it. <laughs> yeah, like, give them a couple years, you know, but I also like the build up to when you were, like, her arch nemesis colin and it's like this is the build up to and his name is colin but yeah like give them a few years but yeah they can survive all of that and they're cool that is amazing that is (laughs) is really interesting though
1: i know this book needs to be hyped more because it's so good it came out this summer i read it in like a single sitting while i was on vacation it was so good
0: that sounds really good and the texas you said right yes Texas texas doing doing interesting things <laughs> okay, so the next one I have is interestingly also about a female athlete. It is called Fierce as the Wild. It is by Tara Wilson Red. Miho is a senior in high school when her boyfriend breaks up with her seemingly out of nowhere, reference to the first book you spoke about. Um since she didn't apply to colleges like her friends, Now she's stuck kind of like watching them get ready and go on to this next stage of life and be happy and joyous and all that extra good stuff. And she's just kind of busy delivering pizzas on her bike and kind of being depressed about her situation. She gets this one really good idea one day, though. She's decided to enter into the triathlon Ironman competition, which has swimming, biking and running. It turns out to be too expensive for her, though, so her friends actually end up making one just for her. They also help her train for it, which is not easy at all for a girl that isn't exactly a runner. She can, like, not even run a mile when she starts. So, and I, when I say not even run a mile, I'm like, I can't even barely walk a mile. So, I'm not, no shade to her. Uh, When she is plagued by self-doubt and other barriers, she has the support of her friends, her dad, and other people in the community. This takes place in Hawaii, and Miho is mixed with Japanese, Black, and other ancestry, although I do not believe she is Native Hawaiian. And this also takes the time to explore how things like race, class, gender, and sexuality can intersect. Its characters boast a wide range of different identities as well. So again, that is Fierce as the Wild by Tara Wilson-Red.
1: Oh, that book sounds really great. Mm-hmm. And i it's been on my radar, but thank you for reminding me about it because I should bump it up.
0: Mm-hmm. So before we get into the next topic, we can go ahead and get into our final sponsor of the day. Gilded by Marissa Meyer... With fierce reeds in gilded, number one New York Times bestselling author Marissa Meyer returned to the fairy tale world with this haunting retelling of Ruppelstiltskin. Cursed by the god of lies, Cyrilda is known for spinning tales that are fantastical but entirely untrue. One of her stories catches unwanted attention and she is swept up into a dark world where the king has ordered her to spin strong to gold or be killed for telling falsehoods. She accidentally summons a mysterious boy who comes to her aid. For a price. All magic comes at a price, but love wasn't meant to be part of the bargain. Meyer is the best selling author of the Lunar Chronicle series, the Renegades trilogy, and the standalone novel Heartless. She sold more than five million copies, had 13 New York Times bestsellers, and has legions of dedicated readers. So again, that is gilded by Marissa Meyer with Fierce Reads. Now the next topic we have is must-not-miss end-of-the-year releases.
1: Yeah, I always feel bad for authors who have to, like, promote an end-of-the-year book release because, like, this time of year, I'll be honest, I'm just barely, like, keeping my head above water with, like, work and the holidays and, like, adding, promoting a new book on top of that just sounds like a recipe for making my mind break. So, yeah. we just wanted to give a little bit of love to these end of the year releases that you might have like, you know, missed or have slipped under your radar because, you know, we're all busy. Mm-hmm. The holidays are happening. It's just a wild time of the year. So, we've got a few books The first one that I want to shout out is Revolution in Our Time by Kekla McGoon. This is a nonfiction um, book, and its it was a National Book Award finalist, and uh, it's so, so excellent. It is a nonfiction account of the Black Panther Party, which... I mean, I'm going to be real, when I was growing up, I was not really taught about the Black Panther Party in a way that was, you know, not like low key racist, like it was very much a message of like, "Eh, they were a bit radical and violent. And so therefore, Mm -hmm. they weren't that great. And I think that, you know, like, first of all, that's not not true and not, a you know, even a fraction of the whole story. So reading this book was very eye opening for me. And I think it's a very important book that, you know, we ought to be looking at because it's an important part of American history. So um, this is just, it's really well researched. It's in depth. It's got a lot of pictures and just so much great material here. There's so much to sink into. Um, So unfortunately it's been a victim of, supply chain issues. Uh-huh. So like if you go to, you know, a certain big online retailer, it says that like it's out of stock, but you um will probably be able to get it from most indies starting on uh, November twenty third. So definitely worth getting your hands on despite the sort of wild supply chain issues that are currently plaguing book world right now. So that's um revolution in our time by Kekla Magoon.
0: I thought you were going to say, when you said, unfortunately, it's a victim, I thought you were going to say of, like, book banning attempts or something like that. And I was prepared. a couple months. Honestly, yeah. Like, let it be released and the supply increased and then probably. Goodness gracious. It's so interesting, too. And I mean, I guess this is common sense. But how you were talking about how, like, the Black Panthers were, like, taught to you a certain way. And it's funny. It's like, growing up Black, the Black Panthers are talked about in a different way you know what i mean so it's like just told like it's almost like two different worlds
1: it is and that's why i feel like this book is so important especially for young people because i yeah i think that it's i mean it's very important that we kind of address when you know we were taught certain things that now we're adults and we're like oh no no that's that's not a thing like mm-hmm. we need to we need to kind of write that wrong in some way. So I, that's why I
0: just think that this is a really great book that everybody needs to read. For sure. I need to pick it up myself. So the first one I have is A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger. It's coming out November 23rd. So we don't have too much time to go. Um, I'm currently reading Little Badger's other book, Elats Away, for the Book Riot Insiders um, group read. And that also follows a teenage Lippin Apache girl, and I've been loving it so far. It's steeped in traditional Lippin Apache stories, but has incorporated folklore from other characters as well pretty nicely, which I think is pretty interesting. So in A Snake Falls to Earth, Mina has just managed to unearth a story her great-great grandmother told her in a mix of Spanish, Spanish and Apache years ago about a fish girl her ancestor had seen in a well. Now, this sighting took place a long time after the era when animal people still lived on Earth. So it's kind of like weird. It's like, why was the fish girl there when, you know, animal people were not walking the Earth at that time? So Nina uploads what she's found out to a storytelling app to get feedback from other people. Meanwhile, in the spirit world, Ollie has begrudgingly left home, as all Cottonmouth kids do. He finds a new home at a bottomless lake and befriends an ancient toad and other animals. The two teens have no knowledge of each other, but the calamitous level of destruction that human beings have inflicted upon the earth threaten Ollie's friend's very existence, and he's forced to cross paths with Nina. Um, Nina has her own worries, on the other hand, in the form of a mysterious man that's been hanging around as well as a tornado that is due to arrive any day now. The two end up helping each other in this coming-of-age story, It explores environmentalism, um, environment destruction. It also has two very well-realized worlds that the characters inhabit. So again, that is A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger, coming out November
1: 23rd. Awesome. I need to pick up both books by Little Badger.
0: Yes. Lots of ways good.
1: Yeah. Actually, I think I have a copy somewhere. I just Mm -hmm. haven't read it yet, which is the story of my life.
0: Right. Yep. Story of all our lives, I think, (laughs) here in Book Riot for
1: sure. All right. My next pick is Starling by Isabel Streecash. And this book just came out um, last week. So it'll be like two weeks now. What is time? It came out November 16th. There we go. I got the date. And so it is out and you will be able to pick up a copy by the time we're listening to this. And this book has one of like the wildest like comp titles that I've seen. But yeah, it really works. <laughs> um the The publishing marketing says it's for fans of um, When the Moon Was Ours and Edward Scissorhands. Okay. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, sometimes when you hear publishers be like, it's, you know, yeah. this crossed with this, you're just like rolling your eyes. Yeah. like What does that even mean? It's lost all meaning. Yeah. But, like those are two comp titles where I'm like, good job. <laughs> Good job, whoever came up with that, because it's so apt. And so it's um sat in this like magical northern California town called Darling. It's really, really tiny. It's kind of remote. And like the people who like grow up there tend to stay there. And it's kind of got like this hint of magic to them. So it's about these two sisters named Delta and B and they live in this old rambling victorian house it's kind of like shabby and falling apart but it's also sort of lightly magical in ways that they don't even fully understand and so before the start of the book their father walked into a hall closet and disappeared like he just went into the closet they opened the closet up he's not there they have no idea where he went they have no idea if he'll come back and so they they're like going on months now without their dad and you know things are starting to get a little bit stressful for delta who's the older sister and she's like really worried because she's like what what are we gonna do if dad doesn't come back and so it's summer, and one night they are walking their dog behind their house in this field, and they have, like, this really scary moment where, like, they think a meteor is gonna, like, crash down into them, and instead it's this boy named Starling who just falls from the sky and is now there, and he's definitely not of this world, but they don't know really where he's from or or what he can do, but they take him in and they protect him, and they you know, really care for him, but the town does not want him. They see him as other and different, and they want to get rid of him. And um, that's especially hard for Delta because she's starting to fall for him. So gorgeous book, gorgeous cover, since we're talking about covers. And that is Starling by Isabel Streakash.
0: That sounds really good. I think I have a galley of that that I, of course, have been meaning to read. It's it's funny, (laughs) some of our books kind of mirror each other, because I think – that I hadn't I haven't read a snake falls to earth yet, but I think he like falls to earth or something. <laughs> I'm guessing yeah. the cottonmouth kid. Cotton mouths are snakes, so it's interesting. Um, but that sounds really good. The next one I have is Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen, and that has already come out. It was released November second. And it follows Simideli, a brown-skinned, curly-haired teenager who was saved by the Yoruba goddess Yemoja and turned into a Mamiwata, which is basically a mermaid. And as a Mamiwata, Simideli's duty is to grant safe passage to the souls of enslaved people who have lost their lives at sea. One day, though, and maybe this was a result of her remaining memories of her life on land and her family and friends and stuff from when she was still human. But one day she breaks the rules and interferes with by saving a boy's life. Now she has to return to land and suffers pain as a result of her return to human form. She's traveling to the Supreme Creator to save the other mermaids from suffering the consequences of her actions and doesn't realize she has unwittingly become part of something else as there is someone or something that wants her to fail. And the boy she saved seems to know more than he should. So this story, um, the Yoruba Arishas are given life here as well as the everyday life and innovations of West Africa before the transatlantic slave trade fully set in. So I really love that we're given a snapshot into, I think, um, too often blackness um, in America and as well as in other parts of the world, the Caribbean and different countries in Africa. Um, blackness is seen like through the lens of whiteness or juxtaposed against whiteness kind of, and this is, this is talking about the slave trade, but it's kind of just starting as in the slave trade is kind of just starting here. And this is, we're seeing, you know, West African civilization, specifically Yoruba, which is, uh, they're mostly, uh, concentrated in Nigeria. So we're seeing that we're seeing their culture without, colonialism having fully set in so that i think that's really cool oh also it's obviously related to like you know hans christian Andersen's little mermaid um and disney's rendition of that so it is again skin of the sea by natasha bowen
1: oh that sounds amazing and that's also been on my radar slash must procure list
0: also the cover is beautiful
1: yes also that <laughs> yes for real So my final pick, and I'll go really quickly since I know we're running out of time, um, is The Coldest Touch by Isabel Sterling. And actually, I haven't read this book yet, but I'm excited to pick it up. It is about a teen vampire and a teen, I don't know if she's like a witch, but she's also magical. And basically they have to team up and there's like a series of murders in their small town, so they have to solve it. You know, honestly, I don't really need to know much more because I'm in, like, that is it. Like, I will Same. read it. Sounds Same. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, oh, and it's also sapphic. So, like, they fall in love. Like, of course I'm going to read it. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this pick. And it comes out in December. And I feel like I haven't seen a lot about it yet. So I hope that people find it and it does well. Unfortunately, I have to say the cover really is not doing it for me mm. because the cover is mm. an illustrated cover. And, and honestly, I look at it and at first glance, I think middle grade novel, not YA novel. So, yeah,
0: it's some. there's something young about it. Yeah. And
1: like, I really like. You know, the, the premise sounds amazing. And even if it's like a younger YA, like that's fine. But like, yeah, I look at it and I don't think YA. So hopefully, you know, people will still find it anyway.
0: Yeah, well, that is such an interesting, that's like a post or something. I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you <laughs> right. I'm like, what is no, it no, about it not. that like, the cover is important.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that might just be, like, my personal take on it. You guys can all go look up the cover and feel free to disagree (laughs) with me. Um, But that was, since we were talking about covers. um, But that is The Coldest Touch by Isabel Sterling.
0: Alrighty, so the last one I have is We Light Up the Sky by Lillian Rivera. It already came out the end of October, and it's about three Latinx teens who go to Fairfax High School but exist in totally different worlds. There's Luna, who is a part of the popular crowd but is still reeling from the loss of her cousin Tasha to COVID a couple years ago. Pedro, who is known as being super duper extra and who has found a safe space from home in a local drag bar. And finally, there's Rafa, who is trying his best to keep a low profile and hide the fact that his family is experiencing homelessness. The three come together when a visitor comes to their town, who looks exactly like Luna's deceased cousin Tasha. Knowing there will be more visitors, the teens try to help each other in warning others of what's to come, but they exist in a world of Black Lives Matter protests. Or I should say, in a world that needs Black Lives Matter protests, which means there's discrimination and ethnocentrism so sometimes whether aliens are the immediate threat or other people is a question Um, this is described as kind of like what would happen before a world this is a tongue twister for me what would happen before a war of the worlds kind of story were to take place kind of has this like overall deliciously eerie tone that also gives me like kind of x-file tease a little bit at times so that is We Light Up the Sky by Lilium Rivera.
1: Ooh, that
0: sounds good. Mm. And,
1: like, I've seen that cover and it's really beautiful. And I never, like, actually, t- like, took a second to really dig into what it was about. But it sounds like this might be, like, a better read-alike to her book, um, Dealing in Dreams, which I really enjoyed than, like, you know, some of her more contemporary stuff.
0: So that sounds amazing. That, yeah, it is actually a good example of illustrated cover done right. Yeah, totally. No shade to no shade Isabel Stern. <laughs> Let me not be shady. Her her book sounds lovely. So I guess that's all we have.
1: Yes. This has been a lot of fun. I can't wait to do more of this. For sure. Would you like to take us out? Sure. So, well, thank you all for tuning in this week. Um, we will be back. Please feel free to leave us some feedback on the show. Um, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can let us know how we're doing. That also helps other people find us. So that is much appreciated. Or you can also write to us at heyya at bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish, including our Insiders program. And thank you again to today's amazing sponsors for helping make the show possible. And as always, to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at at tears price and that's T I R Z A H P R I C E. And Erica, what about you?
0: I'm on Twitter sparingly <laughs> at Erica underscore E Z E underscore. And that is E R I C A for Erica. You can also email me at Erica at riot new media or the Hey YA email. I'll, you know, I'll holler yeah. at you. I'll holler back. let us know how we're
1: doing give us some requests we're happy to take those so but in the meantime um, happy reading and we will talk to you again in two weeks bye take care